Welcome to the Ohio Pawpaw Festival podcast. The 23rd annual Ohio Pawpaw Festival is September 17th through 19th at Lake Snowden in Albany, Ohio. If you're listening to this podcast on this weekend, you can still make it out for Saturday and Sunday of the festival. Gates open at 10 a.m. both days, closing at midnight on Saturday the 18th and 5 p.m. on Sunday the 19th. There's food, music, activities, artists, vendors, and so much more. Weekend passes are available at the gate, along with day passes, and parking is free. Please visit ohiopawpawfest.com for more information. If you weren't able to make it to the festival this year, or you just missed one of the presentations you wanted to check out, that's where this podcast can help out. We'll be bringing you about six or so episodes highlighting some of the events, presentations, and workshops that happened at the Paw Paw Tent this year. Starting on the weekend of the festival, we'll be releasing episodes right here. And you can listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, and more. If you like what we do, please subscribe, rate, and review. Tell your friends and share it all over the place. It really goes a long way in helping spread the word. Again, visit OhioPawPawFest.com for more information on everything that happens at this year's festival. And thanks again to the D-Rays for letting us use their song, A Blaze in the Athens Sky, for our theme. Now I'd like to hand it off to the festival's founder, Chris Schmiel, who will be speaking about pawpaw permaculture in his role at Integration Acres. This was recorded on Friday of the festival. Thanks. Hello. Hello. How's everybody doing? All right. Welcome to the 23rd annual Ohio Pawpaw Festival. I guess 23rd or... 22 point something, because we didn't have one last year, but really glad to be back. I'm Chris Schmiel. I helped start the Pawpaw Festival. It was sort of like my brainchild as far as um, wanting to get people together to celebrate pawpaws and um, have fun and uh, have art and music and all this stuff. So first time Pawpaw Fest people. Wow, that is awesome. This is great. Okay. And has everybody had a pawpaw? Everybody, so any pawpaw virgins? I still have a few out there still. Okay. All right. So there's a lot to talk about. Um, in general, I would say a pawpaw is almost like an experience because you have to get to the pawpaws at the right time. You don't want to wait until they're black and rotten, which when I started, a lot of the old timers around here, they're like, oh yeah, we like them like black, you know? And I was like, and no one was really liking pawpaws. And I was like, oh, okay, I see why no one likes them. Cause they're waiting until they're like black and rotten. Um, so yeah, you wanna, and you don't want them when they're hard and white either on the inside. If you ever try to eat one of those, um, they don't taste good and they can actually make you uh, nauseous. So avoid those. So it's all about picking the perfect pawpaw at the right time. So, um, and it's, it's an experience, you know, you gotta get it. If you could be out in the woods and the pawpaw falls right in your hand, like that's the perfect, perfect way. So um, there are lots of pawpaw trees around the, the lake here. So you may go out on a kayak or go on a hike and find them. We had a frost on Earth Day, actually, this year, April 22nd, and all of our flowers were out, where a lot of them were out. So we have a smaller crop this year due to the flowers getting frosted. 
But um, the pawpaw, we're talking about pawpaw permaculture. Who knows about permaculture? Or is that like a, a term that you may not know? Okay. So permaculture is permanent agriculture. And to me, it's all about sustainable design. And so I have a, my business, it's called Integration Acres. And Integration Acres. Okay, so what, what I do is um, we integrate animals into our pawpaws. Because inside of every cell of the pawpaw, there are these powerful chemicals called anonaceous acetogenins. They're using these anonaceous acetogenins to fight cancer. They've used them uh, to create lice shampoos. Uh, there's like a natural pesticide. So um, those same chemicals protect them from grazing animals like deer, cows, horses, and even goats. So what we do at Integration Acres is we have an, we have an orchard with pawpaws and then we run goats in, with the, in the orchard and uh, they eat all the weeds around and they fertilize the soil. And then the number one pollinator of the pawpaw is the flies. And so when you have more animals and poop and such, you have more flies. So that's the system that I've sort of kind of worked on and uh, kind of dedicated to sustainable agriculture and um, you know trying to do things organically and energy efficiently. And I think our system, I think it works pretty well. Now a goat will rub its head on some pawpaw trees. You know, does anybody have a goat here? Any goat people here? Okay. Yeah, so goats, you know, they like rub, rub their heads and stuff. So occasionally they will screw up your trees, but um, they don't screw them up as much as a cow would, right? So I have this little brochure um, that talks about um, using animals to manage your pawpaw patches, which I can, you can get a copy of this over at my booth. Um, we got a SARE grant, which is a sustainable agriculture research and education grant uh, that helped fund this. So thank you, USDA. Um, but before that, uh, right around here in Southeast Ohio, there happens to be um, millions of pawpaw trees. And um, back in 1916, the American Genetic Association had a competition for the best pawpaws. And there was pawpaws sent in from Maine and Michigan and Florida and Louisiana, like its whole range up and down the East Coast. And the top five best pawpaws came from Southern Ohio. So we're blessed with these really great pawpaw genetics here. And so when what we do is we, we go out in the wild, we find patches and we, we do some techniques that basically kind of turn them into a uh, um, kind of turn them into a modified wild orchard. So I've got this other brochure. It's called A Guide to Improving Your Native Pawpaw Patches. So who, does anyone have a native pawpaw patch here? Just a couple people. Okay. So you may notice your pawpaw patches get overgrown with like multiflora rose and, and you know, maybe some thorny stuff that you want to keep out of there. Well, that's great for goats. Actually, the goats would love to help you like eliminate that. 
But um, you know, when you're going out to pick your pawpaws and you're getting, you know, pricked by the by the multiflora rose, it's you know not that much fun. So I chop that out of it. You know, um, I always have like a little handsaw and my pruners and kind of tend to my orchard. Um, and then if they're in the full, if they're in the uh, shade, who has pawpaws in the woods? Anybody? A couple people. So the pawpaws in the woods, they don't get that much sun. And so they don't tend to produce as much fruit. Uh, now there's this whole movement of people, uh, the North American Pawpaw Growers Association right here, they represent you know, this movement to get pawpaws in orchards. Okay, does anybody here have a pawpaw orchard? Okay, a couple people have planted some like trees. So, you know, like have them in rows and you know, space them out. Um, you might do some pruning. Uh, you might do some fertilizing, I don't know, like, uh, so, and then the different varieties. You know, there's all these patented pawpaws, uh, Neil Peterson, um, anybody have some Peterson varieties? Okay, so we call him Mahatma Pawpaw. He's the, you know, he's one of my gurus. And when I was getting started, you know, so taking the, what they did, you know, basically your traditional agricultural method of uh, monocultures, you know, and things like that. Um, so that that works wonderfully. Um, I've got a little orchard that, you know, we've been, you know, picking from for years, 20 years now, but, you know, some of them are now starting to get old and they're starting to die. So um, some of them we, we're cutting out and we're replanting. Um, this is my pawpaw picker. It's nothing fancy, but it's a uh, sort of like a modified apple picker. You know, because like an apple picker, it's too small. Like if you got a big cluster and you got like nine fruit, you know, and you have a little apple picker, then they fall on the ground and stuff. And, you know, those metal fingers on the uh, apple pickers, like they just like gouge right in. So this is, you know, sort of high tech, you know, invention here. Um, but it uses a little bit of bubble wrap, a little bit of duct tape and some old wire and stuff. Now, these things are a little flexible. So like when the if the pawpaws aren't ripe, they they just kind of slip through. And uh, you know, if they are ripe, they just fall right in the basket. Um, and that, you know, there's a skill to understanding when the pawpaws are ripe. And uh, actually I didn't bring any pawpaws over here with me, but um, anybody have a pawpaw on them? Like, okay. okay, could you grab me one? Um, because like they get ripe at the stem where the stem connects to the fruit is where they get ripe first. And if you have a cluster of them, um, yeah, so like right here is where they get ripe first. So it, they'll start out like so you'll see some of them like they're, they're sticking up like this, you know, and as they ripen, they start to kind of sag down. So, you know, like how Spider-Man has spidey sense. So I've developed like pawpaw sense over the years. And like, you can just like look at them up in the trees and like, you can say, oh yeah, that one's getting close. You know what I mean? So you can like look at them, understand like when you want to pick them. Now, me personally, like what we do at Integration Acres, we're the world's largest pawpaw processors. We take the skins off, we take the seeds out and we freeze it. And then we make stuff with it year round. Um, all this pawpaw beer that we're drinking right now is pulp from last year. Um, so I like the pawpaws that have ripened and fallen to the ground, you know, like a tree ripened, 
fruit. Now, now shaking the trees, was that what you were saying? That was a, just a knock of a, a yes. Oh, okay, yes, yes. Right, because if you try to eat one of these hard pawpaws that aren't ripe yet, they're just not that good. Um, so I like to get them when they've fallen from the tree, just like a vine-ripened tomato, a tree-ripened pawpaw. Um, and so, let's see, where was I going with that? Oh yeah, so like understanding when they're ripe. Now, so like, if I wanna try to ship a pawpaw to somebody, like you can't ship the, them one that fell on the ground though, because by the time you ship it to them, you know, it's like a puddle of pawpaw goo. So that's when you pull out your pawpaw picker and you get it out of the tree slightly under right. And that's like where you kind of develop this eye for and this, this pawpaw sense for, okay, this pawpaw is, it's not gonna, it's not hard as a rock and it's gonna turn into something that's gonna taste good. So, and that's, you know, the main reason we had this pawpaw festival. We have it really at the peak of pawpaw season and the weather we're having right now is like really great ripening. So, you know, the pawpaws are getting ripe, they're falling on the ground and that's when you wanna get them. Um, all right, so I've been, you know, rambling, but does anyone wanna throw out some questions? Um, you know, I could go on about whatever, but um, yes, sir. No, the goats do not eat the ripe fruit. They don't have any interest in it. What, what does that um, Well, you know, like uh, raccoons, possums, that's our biggest problem. Um, you know, this time of year is they, they get in the patches and break the brand. They don't care if they're ripe. They just, you know, start gnawing on them. Uh, you know, I've seen turtles eating them. Um, we, you know, with our logos over the years, we've tried to feature some of the animals, like she's got the, the raccoon on her shirt there. Um, now, deer will eat them off the ground, I've seen. They'll take a bite and stuff. Um, and turkeys like the seeds. I don't know if you've ever noticed that, but you'll see out in the woods, they scratch up and they'll, they'll um, take the seeds and you'll see it in their scat. So um, that is, yes, sir. Well, I uh, got a bunch of seeds from the same fruit and let them grow. Are they far enough? Yes. Okay. The question was, is if, he, if you took the seeds from a f one pawpaw fruit and you planted all those seeds, would those be different genetically enough to, to pollinate each other? Right. Yes. And yes, they would. Cause each one of those seeds is a new tree. And if you look at when you cut the, tr the fruit open, um, you know, these seeds down here, they're, at the ends of the fruit, they're not as strong as the seeds in the middle, you know, like the bigger seeds. So like if you did a little experiment, you could you could see that the strongest trees would come from the biggest seeds that are in the middle of the fruit. OK. All right. Who's got. Yes, sir. If, if you were going to buy a variety today to start with or something, what what would you start with? KSU Atwood? Or... Um, well, okay, so I'm not like a pawpaw snob, really. Like, I'm, I'm the complete opposite of that, really. I'm sort of like this, like, when I got into this, it was like, you know, like, I'm sort of idealistic about sustainable agriculture. So I'm like, why would we, you know, create all these varieties and just do what all these other fruits have done, you know? So I'm not the best person to ask that. I, I plant them all, you know, like, and I think whatever works in your area, 
Um, and it's nice to have different varieties to, to mess around with. Um, so, you know, the grafted varieties are quicker because you're going to, you know, if you're going to plant a seedling and that's got that mature budwood on it, you're going to get fruit sooner. Um, you know, and I've got all the varieties and, uh, but you know, like I sort of just like them all. So I just plant anything I can get. So, and then if you like them, you can, you know, take a cutting and grow some more. So, yes, sir. Uh, do you mind talking about uh, growing pawpaws in pots? That's all we have. We live in a condo. So. Oh, wow. Growing a pawpaw in a pot to get to fruit? Yeah, if it's possible, I don't know. Yeah, I, you know, I don't have a lot of experience. Usually we're just growing pawpaws, you know, as seedlings, and then we try to sell them to somebody to get them in the ground, you know, because they have a long tap root. I mean, uh geez you know like they, those tree pots I, I i would say like the most massive tree pot you could get a hold of you know and that would be amazing if you could like that's the kind of stuff that the north american pawpaw growers association has a newsletter like if you were able to pull off you know fruit on a pawpaw in a pot you know that they'd write an article about that you know what i mean <laughs> so that another question over there Oh, I was going to ask about like the turkeys eating the seeds. Have you, do they, are the seeds like spent after that? Or have you found that that's like a way to... Like, you know, I... So like last year, our festival logo had the crows, which was sort of like symbolic of where we were at last year, you know? And then, and then this year we have the phoenix. And so like I've been thinking, I'm like, I want to do the turkey next. So I don't, I need to study that more. All I know is that they do that. They eat it, you know, so it's more to come on that. Yeah. They like full sun. Do they like companion plants or special fertilizers? Okay. Uh, so in the wild, you know, I'm really into spice bush, uh, Lindera benzoin. You know, if in the woods, you know, the pawpaws are growing up in the sort of mid-story and the, and the spice bush are in the understory. Um, black walnuts. So if you're going to just stay native, you know what I mean? Those are the three that I think, you know, seem to always be together. Um, now, as far as fertilizers go, I'm not a really good, I'm not a, I'm more of a natural organic kind of guy. So I have a lot of goats, so I have a lot of goat poop. So that's sort of what I use. Um, I have done some experiments where I, I got, I put like way too much cow manure and like there was a patch and I was like, cause like people put like 10, 10, 10 on there. And I was like, all right, I'm going to put some cow poop on this patch, you know? And I, I kind of effed it up a little bit. I like, I shocked them. They died. You know, I put it on like like a foot thick, and it was too much. We Uh huh. Now, where do you live? Okay, so let's talk about something is killing the pawpaw trees in our area lately. Like, I would go to these when I first started. I would go to these places where like a little old lady lived, and you know, like her name was Esther. And Esther had this pawpaw tree and, you know, like the old timers I go and uh, all those places where the old timers, like all those trees are dead now, you know, and it's just been like 20 years um, down at, so I, I live here in Athens County, but I live right on the Meigs County line. And there's this uh, United Plant Savers down in Rutland, Ohio. And they started telling me they, their pawpaw trees were dying. 
And I was like, oh, okay, sure, yeah. Uh -huh. Well, it started to kind of move up this way. And um, so there's like in my orchard, we've lost about a third of the orchard. And what happens is the leaves of the, the leaves start to kind of shrink and they get yellow. And then like the tips of the branches are dying and then they're dead. So it takes like a year or two. So if you're seeing that, um, we've had some studies done on it. We've worked with the USDA and OSU and like fusarium, which is a fungus in the soil. So, you know, like we're not getting an inch and a half of rain. We're getting like five inches of rain and seven inches of rain. So, you know, with the global climate change stuff that's going on, we're getting more moisture around here, which is, you know, better than a drought. But sometimes like, you know, all that moisture, I think two years ago in the spring, it like rained for like six weeks straight. And I swear to God, ever since then, the trees just like were, have been, you know, I just thought, I thought they got shocked maybe somehow. Um, so I don't know if that answered your question. So, yeah. Yes. What is the average life of a pawpaw tree? Well, what's the average life of the pawpaw tree? So um, in Athens, Ohio, there's, uh, I think, some of the largest, oldest pawpaw trees in the world. Um, it's in someone's yard and, you know, they're about that, that thick, you know, the, the, um, trunk is, and I don't know how old that is, but it's, I'd say at least, you know, 50 or 60 years old. Um, now a lot of the orchardists, you know, when they're 20 years old, they're done, you know, and they replant. So, and that's pretty typical for any kind of orchard, you know, the, that those younger trees are just more vigorous and they produce more fruit. So. Yes, ma'am. Same theme uh, from seed to fruit bearing in the wild, Meigs County, Ohio. Uh, an estimate? What would you say? I, you know, I took seed, grew them out, and had fruit within about seven years. And that was out in the full sun. So, and what I, you know, when I planted mine, I put the cardboard around them and wood chips and, you know, kind of did it that way where you're kind of, but something like where you don't, you don't want the weeds to, to, you know, take them over until they get, you get a little taller. So, yes. Do you, do you recommend any kind of protection for the trunk? Do I recommend any trunk protection? Like that, those tree tubes? Yeah, I mean, I think in the in, in certain uh, environments, yes, that would be a very safe way to help it, you know, get. But then you just got to keep an eye on them, you know, and make sure that they're not getting, you know, scrunched in there. So I think it's a good way to start. But then you may want to remove them in a, you know, a timely, timely way. Do you recommend kind of of the lower branches? Um, well, uh, I, if you want to get around your pawpaws, it's very convenient not to have a lot of low, low branches. Um, so, you know, it sort of depends on what you're, what you're going for. Um, the, the, what, if I were to prune my pawpaw trees, I usually like snip the tips and then that helps them like get bushier. So like if they're, if they're not like, there's so many different varieties when you're growing them from seed, you know, like you could, you know, some of them are going to get like 30, 40 feet tall, but some of them will stay like 
20 feet tall, 15 feet tall. So there's a lot of genetic diversity. Um, but the more you trim those tips, you know, the bushier they're going to get, which keeps it shorter so you can pick the fruit and you know what I mean? So. You know, if it's really small, I'd give it a, sh just let it go for a while until it gets a little taller. That's my gut feeling on that. Okay, more questions. Yes, sir. How tall do you keep your trees? How tall? I, I let my trees kind of do their own thing. So like some of them are taller, some of them are shorter. Um, I just want a healthy tree that produces fruit. I don't really care. So, so tall tree, long fall, um, So when the fruit falls on the ground, um, you know, depending on what kind of um, understory you have, you know, like some grasses and stuff. I mean, it's usually okay. It's like, you know, when the pawpaws are getting ripe, you really should visit your pawpaws like in the morning and in the evening. And it's like all about picking them up and getting them in the cooler as soon as possible. Otherwise, you know, they're going to just continue to ripen. And that's, that's pretty much what we do during pawpaw season. We just like sort of go crazy, you know, like all we do is mush pawpaws and, you know, harvest them. Here's another question. Yes, sir. For your orchard, when you have new trees, do you provide any shade whatsoever? Um, when I plant new trees in my orchard, do I provide any shade? Uh, no, because really the only shade that you need are the first two, I think they're called cotyledons, the two first two uh, leaves that come out. So like we grow, we start ours in a, like a high tunnel or a greenhouse. So like and then we, sh we make sure they're shaded and we're watering them a lot. But after they get so big, I think you're fine. I think the biggest important thing is like when you plant them. Like if you try to plant them in July, it's probably not a good idea. You know what I mean? If you, I, we plant ours in like April, you know, like when the rains are there, you know what I mean? You're working with nature. So, you know, you're not gonna have to worry about them getting watered and stuff. So, yes. How old are your seedlings when you plant them? Um, you know, sometimes I plant one-year-old seedlings, um, you know, because those, they have those really long tap roots. So the, the sooner those tap roots can get, you know, established, I think, you know, you're going to have the strongest tree. Um, but you know, we'll, you can plant a three-year-old or a four-year-old seedling too. Um, now one of the, we were talking about what's killing the trees, you know, and the moisture. Um, when I'm going to be doing my next planting, I'm going to be amending the soil with a lot of sand. You know, we have a sandy ridge top where we have our orchard, um, but there's a fair amount of clay in there still. So we're gonna, I'm going to try to help with that, you know, uh, not having that, you know, waterlogged roots. Um, but I will say one of the, if you live next to a river or a stream, you know, those are the, some of the best places to plant your pawpaws, that riparian zone. So we're from the northern part of the range. We're up in Oakland County in Michigan, right on the stream. I was looking to plant a pawpaw. Are there any varieties that would be better in that? I mean, I don't think we have the science to, okay. to discuss that kind of stuff yet. Um, the question was, is are there any varieties that are especially great for along a riparian zone. Um, I don't think, you know, and if anybody's in like grad school or in plant biology, you know, there's like, there's so much opportunity for you guys to do like 
uh, research about pawpaws, you know, because there's not been that much. Um, so I don't think we have an answer for that, but I think they'd all do pretty well. Um, like in, in around here, we get some of our best fruit from along the rivers. So way back there. If you were planting a tree like now, what would be the care you need to take uh, to make sure that it would grow and keep it going? Okay, so this is not a bad time of year to plant because uh, we got the fall rains are going to be coming. So, you know, in general, just amending the hole that you're going to plant your tree in, you know, make sure there's a lot of, you know, good compost in there. And I would say a good well-drained with the sand, you know, uh, and then just water it and then mulch around it. You know, make sure that that's your big issue as far as, you know, when the weeds start trying to take it over. So if you want a low maintenance kind of planting, um, you know, I like to use the cardboard, but you could use, you know, those other weed barriers, wood chips, um, just keep feeding it, building the soil around it. So. How would they, how would they do in a, like an orchard where you have uh, dwarf apple trees also? I think a pawpaw would grow just fine with a, a dwarf apple. Yeah. Yes, sir. Is there a special sand or like clay sand or? Um, I think just coarse sand, you know, you wouldn't want to use really fine sand, but just like a, a coarse sand that would drain better. The question was about, is there a specific type of sand that you would want to do? Yes, ma'am. You said black walnut, so the black walnut works with the pawpaw? Yeah, so in, in nature, along these rivers, you will find a lot of black walnuts, and then also growing right underneath them, you'll find the pawpaws. So, uh, you know, you've heard about the um, jug loans, you know, that are in the paw, um, black walnuts. I'm assuming that since, you know, pawpaws and walnuts have probably evolved together over, you know, the eons or whatever, that they they seem to have adapted to that because um, we get we get some good fruit underneath black walnuts. So and we on our farm, we're, we're we work with Hammonds and we're a black walnut buying station. And uh, so we have a lot of black walnut holes. And uh, we actually wrote another grant to SARE where we, we our grant, that was called Turning Trash into Treasure. And so using those black walnut holes, cause there's, it's like 100% organic matter and there's no weeds in it. Um, and it's actually slightly um, sweet. It's a sweetener as far as not acidic to the soil. So we've, we've used those a lot to amend the soils around pawpaws. So. Yes. pH, what kind of pH do they? I mean, they're, they have, a, I would say close to six, you know, like you go five to seven. Uh, the question was about what kind of pH does the, the soil like for a pawpaw? So I think they're pretty tolerant. They can, they can do a little, little bulk, bit of both. Yes, sir. Uh, how much do you have to crush the, the walnut holes to get in the soil? Can you just put chunks or is that to be like a Okay, so with the walnut holes, we usually just uh, put that on the top of the soil as a, a soil kind of like amendment on the top. We don't mix it into the soil necessarily. So just chunk. Well, after we run it through the hauling machine, it's pretty much pulverized. So, yes, sir. What's your spacing on um, If in my orchard, if, if I have plenty of space, I would put them at least 15 feet 
from each other. Um, if you have more space, you could always, you know, space them out more, but like 10 feet's not far enough. Cause then you're, and then, you know, you gotta keep the sucker sprouts down and. Yes. You're using seedlings, so the sucker sprouts would just take time to, to fertilize or they'll shade out and they'll mess up your space. Right. I mean, if you, if you're really like concerned about, you know, having, you know, like rows that are just equally spaced. Yes. But you know, those sucker sprouts, you can always graft onto those. So you might, you know, um, is it like planting a seedling? You got to wait five or you know, years before the sucker produces. Um, yeah, it takes a couple years before they start. Um, they start, uh, you know, having something to you know some but you know a lot of times if they're those are very vigorous so those are those are good to graft onto that's that's one of the techniques we we talk about in this thing so all right so i don't know what's our time here we got five o'clock i don't know how long i'm supposed to talk for but um you can keep asking me questions if you have any yes sir I know nothing about pawpaw tree, okay? But I have creek erosion. Uh, how good is a pawpaw for creek erosion? How fast do they grow the taproot of creek erosion? So the question is about how fast does a pawpaw taproot grow? Yeah, um, well, when you plant the seed, you know, that's the, it starts right away, you know, and a lot of the, the people who grow pawpaw trees, they use the tree pots because they have, you know, very long tap roots. So um, basically, you know, they're not a shallow rooted tree. They're a, they're a, a deep tap rooted tree. So you would, yes, sir. Talk about grafting, what type do you prefer to do? What type of grafting do I prefer to do? Um, I like the saddle graft. I don't know if anybody's grafted here, but that's, you know, like where you have like a kind of a point on your, on your rootstock and then you kind of you put your saddle on the top and so you have two sides that i feel like it's the strongest way um it's you know whip and tongue is pretty traditional but you know then you only have um one <laughs> one side uh you know and what i've noticed is like sometimes if, if things aren't really secure like a bird might stand on it and you know dis you know dislodge it so the stronger it is, the better. But it's always, you know, that kind of sensitive time, like when it's, when you just, you know, do the grafting and, um, you know, you want it to make sure it catches and get your cambial connection. Very sharp knife. And then what, when you take it, it does it matter? We, we use um, parafilm. It's like this like stretchy stuff that um, will kind of naturally biodegrade at a certain time. So you don't have to go back and, like cut it, you know, it's kind of low maintenance. Yeah. How do you think um, raising your goats in the pawpaw area has affected the goats? Like, have you noticed like, like you were saying with the chemicals that are in the pawpaws, it might uh, keep like uh, perhaps like, do, do you have less problems with uh, intestinal parasites in goats or? Um, okay, so the question's about, am, am I seeing any like, benefits for the goats from grazing in with the pawpaws. Um, 
And I, I don't think I have. Um, what I have noticed is that I really need to kind of like, well, what, what happens is the goats eat the stuff they like, right? So if you don't rotate them in, in an, enough, then you're stuck with all the stuff they don't like to eat. So that's sort of where I'm, I try to manage um, planting new stuff in there, like a orchard grass, because it sh gets shady. Um, I think I, I want to try some uh, perennial rye and some annual rye and stuff. Right, right now we have a ton of um, the um, mint stuff, the ground ivy. The ground ivy has sort of like taken over the understory and the goats don't eat that. So if I mow that down and then hopefully a grass or something that's valuable to a goat would grow up, that's sort of what I'm trying to do right now is, um, you know, I will mow that stuff down and then, you know, plant some other stuff and hoping that, you know, we'll get some other things going. So I'm going to try some annual rye. That's my next experiment. What's the odds you'll get like the same flavor out of a seed from the source fruit? Okay. The question is, is, Will you get a similar tasting fruit from a seed that you plant from a fruit that you like? And I would say there's a pretty high chance that you're going to get um, similar flavored fruit. I mean, obviously you've got where did it get pollinated from? But um, I would say more or less that's a good, you know, that's if you like that fruit, you plant that fruit, you're going to get something that probably tastes similar. So it's not so much the fertilizer and all that kind of stuff? Whatever. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, I think the gentleman earlier, somebody mentioned chickens and like, yeah, chickens are great in pawpaws. I mean, they absolutely, that's a great, a great way to go. Yes, sir. Uh, what's the best way to plant the pawpaws? I mean, you plant the whole thing or you just do a seed at a time? Well, I mean, I sort of, it depends on what you're trying to do. The question was like, what's the best way to plant a pawpaw? I mean, I think most, most people plant little seedlings. You know, that's probably the, the best way to go. I mean, you can like when we're when we're processing fruit and we have like all these skins and stuff, we'll just go and dump like the skins and stuff and they sprout up um, from that. But, you know, if you're going to feel depending on how much space you have and how much, you know, like what you're trying to do, like planting a seedling is, you know, a lot of people you can get a grafted pawpaw that's you're gonna get fruit faster from a grafted variety. You know, they're more expensive, but you know, if your time's valuable, you know, it may be worth it. And then you know you're gonna get a certain variety. So it just depends on what your mindset is, I guess. Yeah. You just wanna get some pawpaws? Yeah. Well, the, the bigger the tree you plant, the sooner you'll probably get pawpaws. Way back there. So I have one pawpaw tree on my property and I'd like pawpaws to be fruited from it. And I know that I need at least one more, right? And so how many, how many should I try and um, put on my property in order to try and get fruit? Is it just one or should I just throw a bunch on and cross okay. my fingers? Yeah, so you definitely need at least two, right? Cause you need to have cross pollination. Um, but I would say, as much as you want to plant, you know, like as much space as you have, I knew you, were going to say that. you know, I would say like, I leave it up to you. 
uh, you know. So I mean, the the more the more the merrier, right? Okay. And that that'll help with more pollinate. More Absolutely. Fruit. The more qualified trees you have, the more fruit you'll get. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, and you know that's one of the things when they're growing in a wild patch. That's one of the things we talk about. You know, like you don't know if they're all clonal connectors. So that's when you start grafting in other varieties that you know, then you can really, you start seeing some good production. So, yes, sir. So are you saying then that it would be better to plant seeds from different groups or is it okay from a pollination perspective to just grow all yeah. the trees from one, the seeds of one? Every seed is a new tree. So every seed that you plant is genetically different enough to pollinate. All right, there's some hands over here. There's, yeah, way back there. What would be uh, considered of the grafted varieties, the warmest weather varieties? The warmest weather varieties, okay. I don't know if I can answer that because I live here and this is zone six or something. I think mangoes from Georgia. Yeah, I think, you know, you'd depending on where you live, where do you live, sir? Uh, well, I live in Florida. Florida, okay. So yeah, I know there's some nurseries down there that grow them. You know, like I think finding people in your region would be a good place to start. This guy says that mangoes from Georgia. Mangoes from Georgia. That's an hour and a half north of me. Right. Yeah, you're right. I am the nursery in the area, so. Oh, okay. I'm up here looking for blood. <laughs> you know, um, I think uh, the North American Pawpaw Growers Association has a good network of people. Um, now, I, I tend to hang out with these guys from Michigan a little bit more so like the michigan people they're always trying to find out the ones that they could plant that will ripen before it you know the season's over so um i think just tuning into the the people in your region and seeing what works right yes ma'am so you mentioned clones my scenario is 10 years ago i had some little in the woods under the canopy nice grows no more fruit now. A friend said they're all just cloning each other. Could you just talk a bit about this problem and how to solve it? Well, I mean, I think you could do the grafting. So basically you're saying that your trees used to produce fruit and now you're concerned that um, they're not producing fruit because they're all clonally connected and they're all genetically, you know, they're not cross-pollinating. Um, so an easy way to really prove that is you could, um, you know, you could get another variety grafted in on one of those. Um, but in general, when you're planting in the woods, you know, there's less sun and you're just going to get less fruit in general in the shade. You know what I mean? Um, and then you've got the climactic situation. So like if you went out this year and, you know, you saw no fruit, but then like you realize that, you know, when the flowers were out in the spring, they all got frosted, then it would make sense that there's no fruit this year, right? So this year's not a good year to, you know, like there's years where there's so much fruit laying on the ground all over the place. Like it's not one of those years this year. So um, the stronger trees have more flowers. And so they can, you know, they may get a portion of their flowers frosted but then they're going to produce some more that are going to, you know, hopefully be pollinated and produce fruit. Way back there. I live in a really windy site. Do you have any tips for like protecting young trees? Because it seems like they get scorched. 
Yeah, so he lives in a windy site, and do I have any recommendations? Well, pawpaws are kind of fragile. The wood is very brittle, you know what I mean? So it doesn't, they don't do well with uh, wind, you know, like they get snapped off and stuff. So I guess my feeling on that would be to maybe try to plant a, a, some other trees as a windbreak maybe from where your prevailing winds are coming from. Um, you know, like I, I tend to keep like, I like to put black locusts around my pawpaw trees cause they have that kind of dappled shade and they're nitrogen fixing. So, you know, maybe something like that. That's just an idea. <laughs> Paw seeds from your fruit. Okay, number one, do not let them dry out. Okay, number one problem. Like people, you're eating your pawpaws, like, oh, I like that pawpaw, I'm gonna stick that in my pocket. <laughs> and then you forget about it and then it dries out and the, you know, the viability goes down dramatically. So those little seeds are like living things and they need to stay moist. So that's moist, cold stratification. They need 90 days in the fridge. So we sell a lot of pawpaw seeds. When we're cleaning the fruit, we clean the seeds and then we wash the seeds with uh, a bleach solution. Not like super bleach, but like 10% or something. You know, like you need to get all the molds and stuff that would grow on the seeds. 10% bleach or 10% of 5%? Um, I don't know. Like, bleach comes five percent. Right. You just all I'm saying is it doesn't have to be super bleachy. Like you know, like you don't pour it in there, but it has to be a little. You know, like it has to smell like bleach. So use regular household bleach, but diluted household bleach. Yes. Diluted. And um, yes. and then we just put them in these like bags in the fridge, um, and we use those like feed sacks. You know, like those fibery kind of feed sack things. You know, so it's breathable. Um, now, if you're doing it at home, a lot of times people, you may do, um, you know, some people put peat moss in with them. Some people wrap them up in a paper towel. Um, the thing is you want to kind of keep an eye on them because like over the winter, you know, they might start getting moldy. That's when you might want to take them back out, kind of like wash them in that bleach water again. Um, but they just need 90 days of that cold, moist stratification. Don't let them dry out. That's your number one problem. And then when you want them to sprout, you know, you want to like the warmer the temperatures, like if you have a greenhouse or high tunnel, those kind of, that's how you get them to happen quickly. Yes, sir. Do you know, has there been any research on mycorrhizal Has there been any research on mycorrhizal um, relationships with pawpaws? I don't believe so, but I do believe that there is something going on. Um, one of the things that I, did you? Did you? They they grow with uh, Russula species a lot, which are mycorrhizal mushrooms. Uh, in my experience. I okay, so this guy's saying Russula, and um, I was gonna say stinkhorns. Yeah, because so stinkhorns are they're pop propagated by by uh, flies. So I thought that made sense. So I thought that made sense. They're not probing. They're not, okay. They're not mycorrhizal. But I've noticed them in pawpaws a lot, so I don't know if that's, but who knows. Um, but that would be a great grad school project for somebody, you know. Um, but, I mean, probably all the trees have some sort of mycorrhizal, I would think. But if you have the mycorrhizal, it's just going to help them. So, yes, sir. You mentioned... Um, the uh, the kind of like families that come together out in 
the wild, like the spice bush, the, the black walnut, the papa. Um, are there any emulated like uh, polycultural uh, agroforestry systems around that anyone's establishing to kind of emulate that that similar uh, habitat? Well, um, there's these guys that just planted a bunch of Chinese chestnuts and they intercropped pawpaws with them. So they're giving a talk tomorrow. That's close by to here that they, they planted like 10 acres like that. Um, you know, I think, I think there's probably a lot of people doing a lot of stuff that I don't know about, you know, all over the place. Um, and I, I'm sure that people are experimenting. Um, you know, I, off the top of my head, those, those local guys doing the, the Chinese chestnut and the pawpaws, that's just if that's an example, but I think you know you could really do all kinds of stuff. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You probably seen more pulp than you know anybody. Uh, is there there's orange and yellow? Is that is that a, and I have convinced myself that the orange pulp has a okay. caramel flavor. Okay. And the, and the, and the yellow is. Okay, so he's asking about different colors of pulp and, you know, maybe some flavor characteristics. Um, yeah, there's just so many flavor characteristics, um, you know, like that's why we have the best pawpaw competition and we sort of get into all those different, you know, flavor tones and you're like your upfront and your, your back taste. And then again, it gets into the your, your ripeness, you know, like. Really, I mean, you may have a wonderful fruit, but if it's not ripe yet, it's not wonderful yet. You know what I mean? So that's why when we started, I talked about basically like a pawpaw is almost like a, it's like an event, you know, like and getting it at the right time is really to me the key, you know, because it can get, the caramely flavor oftentimes is associated with more of an overripe. Um, there's been some chefs down in uh, Louisville at the, there's like a Seelbach. It's like a five-star restaurant down there. And they would do the, uh, you know, they really liked the ripe, over-ripened ones. And they would do this caramel, in, you know, kind of type of, you know, dessert where they use the pawpaw that way. So I think ripeness has a lot to do with it. You know, the, the white fruit is the less ripe. Now, later in the season, I've noticed there's a lot of whiter varieties, but is it because they're just not ripe yet? I don't know. So, all right, another question. Okay, glad you brought that up. Has anyone tried freeze drying? Okay, has anyone dried papa before? Okay, you have. You dehydrated it, okay. So you need to be very, very cautious about dehydrating pawpaws. Um, when you dehydrate them, you concentrate that, uh, those anonaceous acetogenins, which will not kill you, but will make you feel very nauseous. So if you want to experiment with that and you wanna like make yourself sick, you can try that. Um, dehydrate some pawpaw leather, it looks great. You know, it's nice and yellow and stuff, um, but it's generally not a real pleasant experience. Well, anyway, where you're gonna dry the pawpaw, I think you need to be concerned about that. 
used the pulp and I put it in a 175 degree oven on fire. And how much of it did you eat? You ate it all and you were fine? You ate it all and you were fine? Yes. Wow. It, okay. it, but you can't uh -huh. over dry it. Uh -huh. You want it okay. still to be tacky and sticky okay. and then just kind of roll it in that, in that parchment paper. And I just cut it in strips that are about an inch wide. And about okay. So she's she's dried some pawpaw and and not had the nauseous experience. But I mean, I've eaten lots of pawpaws, and uh, I do, I will not eat dried pawpaw anymore. So, um, but you know, who knows? Maybe everyone's genetics are different. I don't know. Um, yeah. I'm gonna pass these around and grab one. Yes, sir. They're called anonaceous acetogenins. Um, there was a professor named Dr. Jerry McLaughlin, and he's been to the Pawpaw Fest, um, but he's retired. He was at Purdue University, and I believe he was a pharmacologist. And he's the one that basically spent his whole career isolating those chemicals, studying the whole family of Anonaceae, which is the custard apple family. And he basically decided that the pawpaw was the most powerful Anonaceous um, delivery plant, you know, so that's where he they they worked with this company called Nature Sunshine Products. Uh, they're out of Utah, and they make a product right now that you can get called Cell Regulator. So people who are fighting cancer and they're getting chemotherapy, they take these cell regulators, and it helps them helps it knock out the cancer because it weakens the cell. Um, so there's a bunch of biochemistry in there that I can't really speak to, but, um, all right. Have I answered all your questions? At least enough for today. All right. Well, thank you all for coming to the Pawpaw Festival. And I'm really glad to see so many new people here. And if you haven't had a Pawpaw yet, you know, come on over to our table and we have free samples. Um, we've got some pawpaw products that we make, um, and, uh, have a pawpaw beer and, uh, meet some other pawpaw people. So thank you.